Ready or not, I'm coming hot. Spreading Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans, for the fans. What's up, Cajun Nation? Welcome to Region Review. Long time no talk. Matt Miguez here. We have a lot to talk about today. Obviously, the, the men's basketball team falling in the Sunbelt Conference Championship game last night to Georgia State, 80-71. to We'll dive deep into that. We'll talk some baseball and softball. There's a little bit of football news to get into. You know, there's there's not a whole lot to talk about football-wise right now in March. Definitely, definitely a couple topics that we want to hit on, and we'll get into that in the third segment. And I've got some big news in, in the in the third segment as well that uh that we'll share with you. My co-host today, like they always are, Jerry Abear and Mr. Man About Town, Josh Jagno. Gentlemen, good morning. It's been a while since we've since we've sat down to do this. How you guys been? Good morning. So let's let's talk about let's talk about the basketball game. You know, like I said, eighty to seventy one, we, we fell to Georgia State. But it's interesting because if you look at the tournament as a whole, we never expected to be in this scenario. You, you get into the tournament as an eight seed with a losing record. You go up against number nine UTA, a team that you hadn't beaten all year. You lost to them twice already. You get a win over them. And then you, you get to play the number one seed, Texas State. Again, a team that you have struggled with this year. So then you go, okay, well, you beat UTA, but you're probably not going to get past Texas State. They're just too good, right? The Cajuns owned them. Absolutely dominated Texas State for 40 minutes. So then you go, you get a matchup with Troy. Okay, well, Troy, you you played him once in the regular season and you beat him by 10 at home. So that's when the wheels kind of start turning like, okay, maybe... Maybe something can happen here. You dominate Troy. So now you're in the championship game. And you get to play your grip tonight. Because, let's be honest, outside of 2014, Georgia State owns us. They own us. I thought we played well last night. I thought we shot the ball well. I thought we took care of the basketball. We only turned the ball over 10 times. I thought there were a couple of stretches where we, we seemed kind of out of sync offensively. We, we didn't really, we, we got away from what was working, which was Jordan Brown. And then I think the biggest issue was no matter what kind of defense you put on Georgia State shooters, they were knocking down their threes, especially Corey Allen. Corey Allen, I, I can't say enough about the, the kid's phenomenal. I've always thought that he's he's one of their four super seniors, and uh, 
he is 20, 23 points away from 2000 in his career. So, I mean, you know, again, I, I thought we played well last night, but Georgia State, I think, was just the better team. And and that happens in basketball sometimes. The the thing that, that bugs me about this is that we played so up and down in the regular season that you kind of screwed yourself out of the postseason getting to extend past this point. Because, you know, say say you're in Texas State situation. You win the regular season title. Okay, so you didn't play that well in the conference tournament. You still get rewarded with a trip to the NIT. That could have been well, the Cajuns. I think what you're trying to say is, and I think it's on everybody's minds after this weekend, was where was this the entire year? Um, you know, when, when we, I mean, all season long, I mean, for those listeners who listen to our episodes, I mean, we've been complaining about trying to find, or this team trying to find a consistency or an identity. Um, all season long, we complained that there was no uh, offensive scheme that was consistent, that was in sync. We complained about, you know, certain players not utilizing their their position uh, effectively. Um, we talked about how we lacked defense on the inside when we had three bigs that, by the way, showed up this weekend. And so, of course, yeah, that was the big question was where was this all, all, all year? Um, I'm glad it showed up this weekend. I find that we've, you know, sometimes you just, it's like any team, you, 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 it's like App State last year, right? You, you finally hit that niche. You, you hit that spot that is able to give you enough momentum to make a run. Um, but I thought, look, I, I, this, this past weekend was the most fun I've had watching you all basketball since the 2018 season. Um, you know, seeing guys step up and find their role and, and really play with a sense of cohesiveness, something we have not done. Um, since I don't know, 2018, um, you know, seeing guys like, you know, we talked about a lack of lack of guard play, Jalen Dalcourt, uh, Greg Williams, Jr. Um, Michael Thomas, Joe Charles, all stepped up, all stepped up. It goes back to me asking, where was this earlier in the year? We utilized our bigs. I've been saying since last year, we need to utilize our bigs with Jordan Brown and, um, and Akuba and Theo Akuba. Their, their defensive presence in the paint probably helped us win at least two of those games in this tournament just by itself. Um, you go back to the Texas State game, Texas State, all we did on defense was play pretty much kind of a zone defense and with those bigs in the middle and force Texas State to shoot. Well, they had an off day, shot 35% from the field. We win by seven. Uh, last night, it was just one of those situations where you're playing a Georgia State team that's experienced. Um, they're really good. I... I you know, every time we tried to, every time we went on a run, they responded with a three or they just responded in general. And so that was a game where you just had to be perfect. You played three straight games, you know, and, and look, you have momentum going into last night, but you're also pretty tired. Um, so not to say that I don't think we got worn out, but I think against a Georgia state team like that, you have to play a level up. I mean, we saw it in 2014, right? When we beat Georgia state to go to the dance, we had to play a, a, a very different brand of basketball uh, and to, to, to get there. I mean, that's what championship games are all about. You got to play your best. So look, I, I compliment this team. Yeah. I give credit where credit's due. It was a great run uh, this weekend, but now moving forward, uh, I I'm, you know, I might, I may sound like a complaining fan, but I'm just going to be honest. I want to see that in the regular season. You know, the reality is, is we went to the championship game and that's fantastic. 
we still finished the regular season 13 and 14 with an eighth place finish in the conference. That's not good enough. Um, if what I saw this weekend can be indicative of what we can bring the entire season moving forward, this team could easily be in the top three in the conference competing year in and year out. So hopefully they learn from this. Hopefully these guys can start clicking starting in November rather than in March. And we can make UL basketball more fun to watch throughout the year rather than just this last weekend. I want to give some specifics about last night and dig kind of deeply into the game itself. And then I'll give a 30,000 foot view of the tournament uh, because I have some thoughts on that. But last night, you know, people are going to wake up this morning and they're going to look at the box score and they're going to see that Georgia state shot 44% from the field. Georgia state shot 67% from three Georgia state shot 92% from the free throw line. They out rebounded us. They had fewer turnovers than we did. They had more steals than we did. Okay. All of those things are cr- critical in a, a final, a, a, really any basketball game, but especially in a tournament final. Uh, I think there's something to be said about playing four days, uh, four games in five days. So I'm not saying that's an excuse, but were there times in that game where we looked not to have um, as much energy defensively in particular that we did early in earlier games in the tournament? I think so. There were times, uh, especially I would say coming down the stretch in the first half, we were, we were over pursuing. We were just, we weren't very technically sound and we weren't disciplined. You have not seen that or had not seen that to that point in any of the other games that we played in the tournament. So when you have a team that's making everything they look at and you're just a step behind them in a very high intensity game, that's going to turn into points for the opponent. I thought that that was a a major, uh, that played a major role in the game. We only had 10 turnovers, which is fantastic for this basketball team who's been plagued by turnovers all season. But three or four of those 10 turnovers were in that crucial stretch in that first five minutes of the second half where Georgia State, Georgia State was missing layups and not making shots. I mean, they gave us a nice five or six minute window to climb back into that game. And we just couldn't do it. We had a couple of lazy turnovers. We had a couple of unfortunate turnovers and we were missing short you know, short uh, range shots, layups, and we couldn't get a three to fall. So I think that, again, like Jerry said, those small things become just so much bigger in a high intensity game in a final. I think that those, like you said, those type of events against a UTA, against a Troy, as you, I mean, look, we didn't play perfect in those games, but they just weren't as magnified. So in, in yesterday's game, they, they, they turned out to be, Look, we lost by nine points, and we made it a little bit closer towards the end. I thought that Georgia State was just the better team yesterday. I don't know if I think they're the better team overall. The two games that we played previous to that uh, against Georgia State, I thought we were the better team. I thought we just didn't play well in those games. Um, but look, they they like you like Matt mentioned, they've got they've got super seniors on that team. Uh, so Semi is uh, a menace down on the block. Uh, Allen made everything. It felt like anytime. Greg Williams would come down and hit a big shot or, you know, I know Dalcourt made a couple of big shots. Anytime that the Cajuns did that, Allen answered, whether it be driving and getting to the, the bucket or just hanging out on that wing and knocking down threes. It was a, it, it was a well-played game on both sides, but Georgia State just had a little something extra. Maybe it's experience. Maybe it's, you know, a, a less grueling uh, trip or or path to the final. I don't really know. 
Uh, maybe it's coaching. Who knows? I thought that they were very well coached. I thought that their defense was much better than a, than they played the second time around when we lost to them in the finale for the season. Their defense was as tenacious as I've seen. Uh, I would have said that the Cajuns played the best defense of the tournament going into that game, and I thought Georgia State was just a little bit better, a little bit fresher. Uh, but they looked they looked really good. I think that they were the deserving team. I don't think that the Cajuns didn't play well enough to win. I think that there was just a short burst in that game where they took advantage of some opportunities and we did not. I think it really just comes down to that. Um, that's all I'll say about the finale. You know, condolences to Bob Marlin. I know he was driving back and forth to Mississippi to see his mom, who, you know, unfortunately passed away this week. And that's got to weigh heavy on anybody, much less a head basketball coach trying to, I mean, let's be honest, trying to keep his job and trying to, to do something that was unexpected. So that's, that's, you got to say something about that as well. Uh, 30,000 foot view of the tournament. I thought we were easily better than UTA. I thought that the end three minutes of that game where we, we basically let them reel off eight to 10 straight points would, we didn't really do much at all. That game came down to a three point spread because I mean, what was it? We, I think we were up by 12 with three or four minutes. That, that was a wild finish, and we could have very easily lost that game. But we played much better than UTA in that game, and we were the much better team even when we played them in the regular season. There's a theme here, you know. Um, I thought that Troy was a matchup nightmare. for. We were a matchup nightmare for Troy. They just didn't have the size or the speed to keep up with us. We were, we were more gifted than they were. Um, Texas State was probably the best game I've seen a Cajun team play in two years. I mean, obviously Jordan Brown went off, but Dalcourt was really your, your the key to that. And let's keep in mind that Dalcourt is basically a freshman. Uh, and I know, Jerry, you mentioned a lot of where has this team been all season? This team hasn't been the Raging Cajun basketball team all season. Not in the games that I've watched personally. You, we played together. We played tenacious defense. I mean, ferocious defense. Best I've seen in a long time. You had Dalcourt step up. I thought that we had some cohesiveness that we have not had. Look at the turnover numbers. They were way down compared to the regular season. I thought uh, Thomas played out of his mind for four games. I don't think he was great last night, but overall for the tournament, I think that, man, I, I, he was as solid as could be. Greg Williams Jr., he played amazing. I mean, you want to talk about where has this been? That is a guy right there that maybe he was kind of caught under the Kobe Julian shadow where Kobe was starting to come on and maybe Greg felt, you know, pushed out of his role. Well, he blossomed in the role that he was given for the tournament. And I think the coaching staff challenged him in the, in the perfect way. He went out and made shots. He played good defense. He looked great and he distributed well. Um, and then obviously Jordan Brown showed up. He looked like the all American. We thought that we were going to get uh, Dugay played under control. Not many turnovers. The idea that this, this team could have been, uh, with us is it's easy to 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 expect, but keep in mind we said this in some of the early podcasts going into basketball season. Talent is one thing. On paper, one thing is you know, it's it's one thing to have all these names and all these accolades on paper. We have to play together. We have to gel. We need time. Well, you saw towards the end of the season we started playing a little bit better, and I know we fizzled towards the end the last week. But when you got into when you got into the uh, the the tournament. You really saw you saw an extra level of intensity. It, it seemed like they care a little bit more. And I know people are not going to take to that very well, but sometimes when you are, are really pushed as an athlete and you really need to compete to, to just, you know, be on the same level as your peers and people are doubting you, 
it, it gives you an extra little bit of motivation. And, and I think, I think you saw that come out in the tournament, just a little bit extra to play for maybe Bob, maybe, you know, some of these guys trying to extend their careers. I don't know what it was, but it was definitely a different team. So it was good to see the Cajuns care, play hard, uh, uh, buy in for, for a week. I think the Cajun fan base also stepped up a little bit. You see on, on championship Monday, a pretty nice and rowdy contingency in Pensacola. So all those things are great. You forget how fun March is because we're never really participating, but you know, I know we're going to talk about Bob's future here in a minute, but you got to, I wanted to point out all of those little things that kind of helped boost the team along, along the way in the tournament. Yeah. And I also want to give condolences to coach Marlin and his family, um, you know, to be able to, to drive six hours, you know, to and from Tipolo, Mississippi and, and come back and coach and still be able to stay focused like that. Um, you know, he said in the postgame press conference after the Troy game that he basically coached in, in memory of his mom because he said his mom would want him to compete. Uh, that's look, say what you want about coach Marlin. Look, we've never, I'm, you know, we've never had issues with any coaches, coach Marlin as a person, he's always been, um, a stand-up a gentleman and, um, for him to do that and be there, you know, for his family, as well as his team. Uh, I mean, that's, you can't, there's nothing else you can do, but tip your hat off to him. And, uh, yeah, definitely condolences. And our thoughts are with, with him and the Marlin family. Um, you know, I think, I think the main, you know, to Josh real quickly to summarize what you said about, looking at um, players and the cohesiveness, like I mentioned earlier, I think one thing that really stuck out to me was, you know, for the longest time, you know, Kobe Julian has always been a huge presence. Um, You know, he, he really, to me, I mean, this is his best season he's played so far. He's been pretty healthy for the most part, but when he went down, I noticed the other guy stepped up. Remember the last few years, you know, what was the excuse, the injury excuse? Well, Kobe Julian's not playing. Kobe Julian's not playing we just went on this fantastic run without Kobe. He wasn't even on the court. And so that tells me the guys behind him stepped up. They played their role. They knew what they had to do and they got the job done. So moving forward, I don't want to hear, and look, don't get me wrong. Injuries can affect the team. It's obvious, but it doesn't mean because one guy gets hurt, that ruins your entire season. And that's the thing about our culture here is especially in basketball, Yes, injuries do affect you, but we've used that as sort of this this sort of scapegoat of underachievement. And to me, that this weekend killed that narrative. You know, if you get enough talent, when you talk about talent you bring in in the preseason, you know, that you're supposed to kind of compensate. Now, that doesn't work all the time, right? You're going to have guys like if Alfred Payton would have gone down in 2014, obviously, right, that that would have been a lot different. But what that tells me is, is you have guys stepping up behind Kobe that are able to, to compete and, and, and be effective moving forward, man. You know, I, I, if we're talking about all this talent, we always bring in, they they're playing to show they're playing to prove the talent that we have. Um, so I'm just wanting to point that out. Like, look, losing Kobe was tough, but I was very impressed with the guys that stepped up. So, uh, and I'm saying this jokingly, I don't want to hear moving forward, well, this guy got hurt, so we lost to Jackson State. No, 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 no. We've got talent. We've got good talent. So hopefully um, we can can utilize that with the team we have and they can find that cohesiveness a lot earlier in the season for it to be more enjoyable to watch. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Um, I I do want to go back and say that, you know, offer my condolences as well, 
I don't I don't know what that's what that's like um, having to drive back and forth like that, losing your mother while trying to coach a Sunbelt Conference tournament. Um, I'm, I'm sure that is a, a grueling week. So definitely praying for the Marlin family. But, you know, one thing that I found interesting that, that you guys were talking about a second ago is is this roster and the the youth of this roster. Do you guys know how many players we're losing? Uh, one, probably. Dugay. Right. That's the only guy leaving. I mean, barring barring transfers. But everybody else is he, he's our he's our only senior. Joe Charles is a freshman. Michael Thomas is a freshman. Uh Kobe Julian, a red shirt freshman. Jalen Dowcourt's a junior. Theo Okuba's a junior. Dury Cadwell's a sophomore. Greg Williams is a junior. Brown's only a sophomore. Kentrell Garnett's a freshman. Brian AU's a junior. So like there's the the core of this program is more than likely going to return next year. Um so I think I think this run that, that we've made in March is a is a positive step for for next year. I think if you can keep the core of this of this roster together, you could you could make a bigger run next year. Uh, but but I mean, it's going to come down to consistency. That was that was our issue this year. We were wildly inconsistent in in the regular season, which which ultimately led to us being an eight seed and getting the short end of the straw in, in terms of in terms of seeding and scheduling in the tournament. You know, and Matt, on that, on that note, I just want to say, we woefully underperformed. I mean, we wo- this was a, a very disappointing regular season. Nobody's trying to cover that up, and I want to be clear on that. However, you know, you did have a dynamic with Akuba being injured and uh, J- uh, Jordan Brown having some some games missed because of COVID and this, that, and the other, and they were learning how to play with each other. And we we said on an earlier pod we thought that that would be an issue. Those guys having to learn to play with each other on the floor. You also had Dalcor who had, I mean, all of a sudden he came into his own down the stretch that something clicked for him there. You know, you have a lot of pieces that you had to find roles for. And that that's not an excuse. Again, we talked about this. We're not coaches. We talked about this early um, on the season. You got to be able, there's got to be time for these guys to figure out how to play with each other. Um, we had the talent. I don't think we should have been an eighth seed. I think we should have won 20 games this year. However, it, it played out the way it did, and you saw some fruit in the tournament. So just wanted to point it out more, more than excuse it. Breaking news coming in as we're recording. Tonight's baseball game against Louisiana Tech has been postponed due to a rainout, and it will be rescheduled for April the 6th. They'll do anything to avoid us. Anything to avoid the the diamond dogs? They don't want us coming to the love shack. That's fine. That's fine. We didn't want to go up there anyway. So again, baseball their game with Louisiana Tech rescheduled to, for tonight. It will be postponed until April the sixth. Before we leave basketball, though, I do have uh, one more thing to to touch on 
and it is the all Sunbelt teams that were announced about two weeks ago. Um, Jordan Brown made the second team all Sunbelt. Kobe Julian made the third team all Sunbelt. So congratulations to to those two guys. Uh, definitely well-deserved. And uh, prayers are with Kobe Julian. Obviously, he is going to... He's going to have his knee operated on this offseason. Uh, so hopefully he can he can recover from that uh, because he's a he's a viable talent and he is a excellent he's a stand up human being. So definitely definitely praying for Kobe. Let's transition off of basketball, but still basketball, if that makes sense. From a coaching standpoint. You know, obviously, again, Bob Marlin has had one hell of a week. But that doesn't take away the fact that the writing's on the wall. I'm going to give my two cents, and then I'm going to let you guys, you know, share share your two cents as well. You know how I feel about Bob Marlin. I think he's a great guy. I think he's a great, I, I think he's a great coach. I really do. But at the same time, there comes a point where you overstay your welcome. There comes a point where you've done all you can do for a program. And I think that we have reached that point with Bob Marlin. I don't see this program growing anymore under Bob Marlin. With that being said, he did bring us to a conference championship game last night. So with only one year remaining on his contract, the university's not going to fire him. They're not going to buy him out. It, it, it's just, from, from a business standpoint, I, I understand and agree to an extent what some people are saying. Well, the program's hemorrhaging money. And the only way that it's going to stop is by buying the guy out. But at the same time, if the program is hemorrhaging money, can you really afford to spend more money? So I, I see it both ways. Um, but here, here's my two cents. I, personally, I think Bob's going to retire. In the last three years, he's lost his mother. He's lost his father. He's lost a brother. He's had COVID twice. His wife went through a health scare a couple years ago. He's getting close to his mid-60s. Like, you just you just watch him on the sidelines. What Bob has been known for years to be that guy that gets all riled up at a bad call and throws his red jacket into the into the bench and gets thrown out, right? When's the last time you saw Bob get truly annoyed? It wasn't this year. I saw I saw him get aggravated with a ref one time last night. And because it was a horrible call. They called that they called the foul on us on that trap by our bench with like 90 seconds left in the game. Officiating was freaking terrible last night. And and I, th- I think it was Mike Thomas that got the foul, and Mike was literally just standing there. Like, Thomas didn't do anything 
so that was that was a bad call, and I, I get why why Bob was angry with it. But I, I just feel like the passion's not there anymore. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you guys see it differently, but I, I really think Bob's just gonna walk away. Josh, what do you think? Well, uh, everything you said is true and it's well taken. Uh, I have a little bit different. I'm going to come, I'm coming at it at a different angle. Basketball is loved by a group of people here that loved basketball in the seventies and eighties. We have missed an entire generation of fan cultivation. And that is unfortunate. And it's not Bob Marlin's fault. However, he stepped into a situation that needed immediate repair. It took him a few years to do it. He was able to do it. He righted the ship, stabilized the ship. Uh, we've had some success. We've had some nice moments, but I think most would agree. Like I always say, if you take away his best years and his, well, his single best year and his single worst year, most of it is mediocrity. And I know the administrators hate to hear that and, and that's fine, but the fact of the matter is it's been mediocre results in a mediocre league. There is nothing that you can do that will alienate a fan base more than wallow in mediocrity. That's where we've been. And it's unfortunate because, again, Bob's a great guy. Everybody likes Bob. He's been, he's been a leader among men in the program, and you got to be able to recognize that. If you, even if you don't like the results, you got to be able to recognize that. We have said for a year, well, I would argue that a change should have been made a while back. I will say that my, my thinking has changed on this whole Bob Marlin thing, and this might surprise some people, but I'm thinking about it like as, as if I'm Brian Maggard. If I'm Brian Maggard, I'm looking at the situation and I'm saying, Bob Marlin has given us all these years of service, 12 years. Bob Marlin has not been a bad coach. He has not been a total loser, uh, but he has challenges. Like, for example, the Cajun Dome is empty every night we step on the floor. That's a major issue because we already struggle for revenue in basketball because of the horrible deal that we have with the Cajun Dome, uh, which is a whole other conversation. But Bob Marlin has his challenges and he has his, his strong points. Got to be able to look at both. Brian Maggard is, is probably sitting down today or maybe he's taking a break or whatever. But when he does sit down, he said he sees a coach that obviously his team plays for him. I mean, you look at that that run in the in the tournament. The boys stepped up. I mean, look at the press conferences, um, especially the one after Troy. The that press conference was pretty emotional, and you could obviously see the players' uh, heartfelt uh, intention toward Bob Marlin, and you know. You can never say the players don't like him, and you can never say that they don't pull for him or, or, or play for him because they do. You know, we, we questioned that at some point during the season, had they stopped caring or had they given up? Well, I, I don't think they gave up. Obviously, they gave us a week worth of fun, and uh, they gave themselves a chance to be champions. So they did not – they clearly did not give up. We have to pay a buyout, and I know it drops significantly after April the 1st. I want to say it drops down to 150000 the question is for Brian, do you pay the 150 and do you find a new coach and do you spend the resources and the time to go out and do a national search and bring in the right guy with the roster that you have? Do you risk losing 
a roster that just made a tournament run, which by the way, we know it's all about three, four games in March, depending on your seating, right? It's all about that. So the team that we have and the coaching staff that we have in place just it just showed you that it is good enough to make a run in the in the most critical point of of the season that will get you to the next level. And really, you're making the dance. You're making money for the league. You're making money for the school. You're you know obviously your branding is taking a huge step forward. Can Bob Marlin do that? Well, he puts you in position to do that this year with this roster. As a fan, I look back, I look at the 12-year run, and I say, this is not great. Mediocre. I want to be happy about basketball again. I want to be rejuvenated. I want the reset button. There's a lot of – there's a big part of me that feels that exact same way. I, I want to feel all that stuff too. I mean, look how much fun this past week was. Being relevant in March is what it's all about. And being in a one-big league, big league, you only get a couple opportunities in one season to do that. As an administrator and as an athletic director – I would see where Brian would hold on to Bob for one more year. If he wants to continue coaching, there's rumors around the program that he would retire that would also not shock me. Uh, But I think at this point, Brian has recourse in, in saying, I'm going to let Bob Marlin finish out his contract. He has earned the right to do so fans. You know, you look at the fan base and you look at fan support. It can't get any worse. Right. You know, from an administrator standpoint, why go spend the money when, you know, you had one of your interest-wise, I think this was one of the worst seasons I can remember as far as attendance and things like that and chatter and, you know, just conversation in general in, in the in the blog sphere and the Twitterverse and on the radio and things like that. It's been one of the, the I mean, least interesting teams we've had in a long time and the conversation has been in the toilet. However... As soon as they made a run in the tournament, you saw everybody start perking their ears up right all over again. So as an administrator, do I keep Bob on? I could see where Bob Brian would want to do that. As a fan, do I hit the reset button? I see where fans and the fan base and the hardcore fans would want to do so. However, you got to remember the social club really loves Bob Marlin. They're going to stick up for him. They're going to fund his campaign. They're going to they're do everything that they need to do financially to keep him where he needs to be. I mean, you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the same people that you go on the uh, the Facebook fan page, and when you try to talk some sense into them, they ban you. Yes, I got banned for trying to just tell the truth. I wasn't ugly. I didn't say any cuss words. I just said, here are the facts. RPI-wise, we're 200 in the country. We can't win home games. We blah, blah, blah. And I said all the things that needed to be said. And the next morning, I wake up, and they kick me out. So anyway, just wanted to say I, I see where the administration will keep Bob I see where the fans want to get rid of Bob. I don't know what it comes down to. I don't know where the linchpin is there. Maybe it's just Bob Marlin wanting or not wanting to continue coaching. That's kind of where I'm at. You got to give him credit for making a run. You got to give the the team credit for making a run, but you also have to recognize that they woefully underachieved in the regular season. Two things can be true at the same time. And uh, what do we do with coach Marlin? Ultimately, I think coach Marlin's back in 2023. I think that that's where, I think that's where it's going to end up. Uh, Do I agree with that? I don't know yet. I don't know yet. I think Josh, you pretty much nailed it. I think you nailed all points pretty accurately kind of where I stand. I think for me um, with coach Marlin, I think you can either have one or two scenarios. You can say, look, 
you know, you've, 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 you've maximized your potential here. You've done a lot of things in 12 years that has moved the program forward, but is it, is it at the level of where we want it to be? Um, or you can say, you know what, you've put your time in, it's almost like community service, right? You've put your time in, we got one more year in your contract. And now if, if you want to announce your retirement now, great, but we'll let you, you know, what we'll do is let you finish out the year right off into the sunset next year on your last game. We'll honor you just like on senior day. We'll, you know, give you a plaque or whatever and, and recognize your achievements here. And then, you know, uh, and the good news for that, it's a win-win, right? Because you're, you're leaving on your terms. You're not, you're not getting fired. You're, you know, the, 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 the loyal fans can be happy because, you know, usually when you don't get fired from your job, you can always come back, right? It's a lot different when a coach gets fired. Uh, they usually don't come back uh, where coach Marlin can retire where he can come back to the games. He can come back to the rebounders club meetings and he can, he can stick around, right? Because it's, you're both, you're leaving on good terms. I think the, for me, do I think coach Marlin's coming back next year? I don't know. Uh, I'm not Brian Maggard. I'm not the administration. Um, you know, I trust our administration to make that decision. And I think regardless of what happens, whether it's the loyal fans, the basketball fans, or just the fan base in general, you're going to get blowback either way, right? You're going to get some people that are going to be upset. You're going to get some people that are going to be happy regardless of the decision. I, the question I have is he comes back next year. Can we, I guess my question is where, do, where, where, what's, what's the end game, right? You come back next year. What if you finish 13 and 14 in eighth place again, and you don't make a run in the tournament, right? You have to start over from scratch anyway. Do you waste a year on that? Or do you go what, do what you did in 2018? You maybe find your niche, maybe what you saw the last four days, you build on that and your team goes 21, 22 and 10 and makes a run in the tournament. I don't know. Um, but I think you make a good point, Josh. You take the two, the, the best year and the worst year and you, and you put them in the middle. It comes out to average seasons, fourth or fifth place in the Sun Belt, and that's pretty much your average result. Um, I think the biggest issue with basketball to me is we've created a culture that is that just kind of not necessarily lower standards, but it's it's like like you said about the basketball fan page. Look, I, I go there sometimes, I read the stuff, and it's and look, they're diehard fans. I have no problem with it. I know a, a lot of those fans. But there comes a time where you have to draw the line and say, look, you know, we have to have a really, really high standard to where if we drop games against Jackson state, we, you know, we can't just go, Oh, well, that's okay. You know, it happens. We had injuries and stuff. No, like there has to be a standard of holding some accountability as well. Um, I think in the, the really, really loyal, loyal part of the fan base, I don't see that. And it's nothing personal. If you're a fan, you're a fan. That's okay. But we have to have accountability and we have to have standards because to me, I'm looking at it from a point of view, like you talked about with attendance, you know, we can brag about having the highest attendance in the Sun Belt all we want. First of all, those are tickets sold. Those aren't butts in the seats. If you look at any game on TV, it, the Cajun Dome is empty. That's just a harsh reality. You can count them. There've been a few games where I've counted the number of people when they're on a commercial break on the other side of the Cajun Dome. I mean, when I can count the number of people, that's not good. And we can use the excuse, well, basketball's dead in the South. And, you know, well, you know, it, it's, it's just different now. No, that's not it. It's just not a, it wasn't a good product during the year. People didn't want to go watch that. That's just a harsh reality, whether people want to hear it or not. So what we can't do, in my opinion, uh, as far as a fan base, we cannot create a culture of can't. 
We can't do this. We can't do that. Basketball's dead in the South. We can't win. We can't do this. We can't. If you create a culture of can't, you're never going to succeed. You know, you have to have standards. And I think, I know the coaching staff has standards. I, look, there's no doubt they want to go to the tournament. But to me, when I talk to people that go to all the games and whatnot, it's just, well, you know, it is what it is. And we lose, uh, you know, it is what it is. We have to have standards. I mean, look, you look at all the other sports across the board. You know, Mike Desimo wants to be Cincinnati in football. Jerry Glasgow wants to win a national title. Dex talks about going to Omaha all the time. You know, that's our standards in those sports. Prove me wrong, but I don't see that in basketball. You know, well, I don't. Jerry, I don't if I can see interject it. for one one moment, just about one thing you said. You know, you said that we have a loyal fan base, and it's okay to have this this diehard mentality. I'm going to push back on one thing. It's not okay when you hit the point of diminishing returns. At, at one point, there is a point that you hit a wall where your loyalty can actually hurt the program. And I'm not naming people by name, but we have that in this program. You know, I can't write a $50,000 check to help Marlon, you know, I don't know, get a charter bus or help pay coaching salaries. I, I don't have that kind of money and I wouldn't pay it even if I could to be honest with you. But the point is, is that the people that are able to write those checks, I don't know if they have this like, this investment complex where they've already spent their money. So they really want to keep the guy in power that they just helped fund. Maybe that's what it is. No idea, but it hurts the program. When you keep coming up short, if you keep funding these same goals and these same objectives and they keep coming up short, you're throwing bad money after good, good money after bad. Always forget that term, whatever you're not, you're not, you're not helping the program. You're actually crippling the program. And that's what we've had that conversation a million times. That's what, that's what I was trying to say on the damn fan page. And then I got kicked off just because a few of us can write big checks. Doesn't make us any better of a supporter than the people that actually show up to watch the games, the people, when you can pull in, you know, Joe and Bob and Jane and, and, and Jessica off the street who don't, don't even really care about basketball, but they're interested in your product. That's when you know you have something. I'll give you an example. Uh, the people that sit in front of us for season tickets and baseball never went to UL. They never had kids who played baseball. They have zero connection to the program other than it's a winning, it's a winning tradition. It's fun to be a part of, and we play good competition, and we beat them. That's the only reason they go to the games because they have a good time. They have no zero connection to UL whatsoever other than that. That wow. is when you know you have a great product. Well, I think I want to add to that too. The, 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 the reality is, is I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're the biggest fan or you're just a sidewalk person. The program is bigger than a few people, whether it's the bigger than the coach, it's bigger than an athletic director, it's bigger than an administrator, it's bigger than the president. The, the program is for everybody. And when you try to s exclude um, the big group and you just kind of keep a close knit for whatever reason, does it really help the program? I don't, I don't think it does. Um, and I'm not, and I'm not saying anybody in particular, I'm just saying that's, that's the culture we've created with conversations I've had with people that it's like, you know, this idea that this is okay. Well, well, no, I mean, and I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of the 95% of the fans. Look, we took a poll a few weeks ago on Razor Review. Is it time for a change? 86% voted yes. So I'm speaking on behalf of 86% of people. I mean, I, to me, like I said, whatever Dr. Maggard decides, that's his choice. I'm not the athletic director. I'm not an administrator. I'm just a sidewalk. I'm just a, I'm just a fan in the background. But to me, 
if you, if you are investing in a program, you do want to see results. And look, you brought up a good point last time, just last night, look at the reaction on social media. When we made the championship game, look at the number of people that made comments of saying, well, you know, regardless of what I think of coach Marlin and the program, I still want to win this championship game. I still want to go to the dance. So you still have people that are waiting. They're waiting for success. They're waiting to say, look, let's, let's be the standard program that we know we could be. But too many people are waiting on the side because they've been tricked too many times. They've been duped. I mean, look, since 2018, we finished fifth place, eighth place twice. We finished fourth place and we never got to the final. This is the first time we've been in the final since 2014. But so, so you make it, you make the final yesterday. Look at the number of fans who really haven't been around in a long time. Get excited about that game last night. We got excited about that game last night. So this foolishness of, you know, well, it's not what it used to be. No fans are hungry just for success. But if you keep making excuses for underachievement, people don't want to be around underachievement. That's the, and, and that's what I'm saying about the culture. We can't create a culture of can't. We can't do this. We can't do that. That's been a that's been a detriment to this program for so many years. Not basketball, but athletics in general. I mean, pre, you know, before we started winning in football. Remember, we can't. Well, we've been we got bowl eligible, but yeah, eight wins. That yeah, we we might get there. Now we're a top twenty five program, right? You know, we can't do this. We can't do that. The the culture of can't needs to go away. It's time to get rid of the culture of can't and say, what, what's our ultimate goal? Hell, if you want to make, if you want to reach, if you want to have a goal of going to the sweet 16 every year, set that standard, set the standard. Fans will get invested. If fans will invest in that, if you have a standard like that, but the standard of just getting by, it's not, it's not going to cut it. I'm sorry. That's, that's why 86% of the fan base voted the way they did in our poll. So, and I'm a little passionate about it because I know the potential. What I saw this weekend with this basketball program, if you can show me that in the regular season and show me that every year, this team could do, this team could do some great things. This team could do some great things. But this once in a million opportunity where we just show up in four days when we could have been doing this for four or five years, it is a little frustrating to me. It is a little frustrating to me. On the point, on the point about fan interest though, look at what happened when you made even the slightest tournament run that came out of the damn woodworks. It was amazing. You know, the culture of can't, I love that Jerry. It's just so perfect because we've got people in the program and on the damn coaching staff. And I'm again, I'm not going to name names, but we, it, it's a culture. It's a culture of, Oh, well, it's a culture of, well, we tried our best. It's a culture of, you know, we may not win the regular season, but we'll make a run in the, in the tournament or, we we're going to, you know, we didn't make a run in the tournament. Or, so we, we, you know, but we did well in the, in the regular season, there's always a, like a justification of why we haven't achieved our goals. And I hate that. And I would say to this, to, to that point, the people that say we need to make a change for financial reasons, they're correct. The people that say we need to make a change for uh, fan interest reasons, they're correct. I'm not, I'm not at all disagreeing. Uh, the only, the, my only pushback about that was that, you know, if Bob ends up, staying for one more year. I understand the numbers and I understand the reasoning. That's, that was my comment about that, but there is no question that we have, we've just lagged in support year over year. It looks like it gets worse and worse. I don't care what we report for attendance numbers. You show me a thousand people in that Cajun dome sitting in chairs and I, I look, I'll give you a hundred bucks. It doesn't exist. It does not happen. It's not true. I don't care if we quote unquote led the conference in attendance. It's just not true. We may have led the conference in ticket sales, but you know, when some of these boosters that are in the social club have a company that buy 200 season tickets, 
I mean, that's not even fair. That's cheating. Don't tell me that's an attendance number. Okay. I mean, just there's so much BS attached to the men's program and people will not put up with BS for very long. Now, I think that making a run in the tournament is going to go a long way with some interest going into next year because you can sell. We have a young roster. You can sell. We had a brand new turnover and there was a lot of moving parts and we had to figure it out. And we did at the end of the season. I think you can sell that. I think you can sell, you know, a, a, a finale for, for Bob, you know, a going away tour. I think you can sell that. But what you can't sell is being 13 and 14 at the end of the season. And I can promise you this, if he does get another year and we start the season in the tank like we did this year, all that goodwill and support is going to go out the window right away. So Brian has a very interesting decision, and it's going to be very interesting how it turns out. But, look, he's kind of playing with fire here in, in, a, in a few regards. Uh, but, but anyway, there's a lot to be said about both sides of the coin. Do you, do you get rid and hit the reset button? And, you know, maybe alienate Coach Marlin and his family in, in a little bit. You know, what you said, Jerry, about him being able to stay part of the family, it's another big part of things that, that I don't think people really think about. We've had some bad blood with, you know, coaches being fired and let go. And it's never good to see, especially, you know, with a guy like Ricky who did so much for the program. And, no, he didn't get the results that he needed. You can make a pretty good comp with Marlon. You know, he did some good things for the program, and he didn't maybe get the results that we wanted. But – should we shun him? Should we, you know, make it ugly towards the end of his, his reign? No, no, I don't want to do that. I don't. He's too good of a man, and he's done, he's done plenty. You know, the results haven't been there, but other things have. So I want to be careful about how we end the relationship or pause the relationship, however you want to look at it. Uh, but there's a lot of people out there that, that, that they're waiting to see what's going to happen here. I think you both hit the nail on the head uh, perfectly with, with that conversation. Before we take our first break, women's basketball, finishing the season 18-7, and seven, falling in the semifinal to UT Arlington. You know, I, I thought that this was another another positive season for, for Gary Broadhead and his program, uh, making the conference championship game last year, making it to the semifinal this year. Uh, Ty Doucette being named Sunbelt Defensive Player of the Year. She also made first team on conference. Makai Hallman making third team on conference. And also another note on Ty Doucette, with their game against UTA, she set the program record for most games played in a Cajun uniform in her career. So uh, congratulations to... Coach Broadhead and his staff on a, on a hard-fought season and a big step in the right direction for the future. We're going to go ahead and take a break right here. When we come back, we're going to talk some baseball and softball. We'll talk about the Round Rock Classic. We'll talk about those two games with Northwestern State and a rough weekend against Southern Miss. We'll talk about softball and how... Their inexperience is, is holding them back a little bit. And then football news in the third segment. Don't go into Air Rage interviews right back after this.
Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Ranging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Welcome back to Rage Interview. Matt Miguez, Jerry Bear, Josh Jagno. Talked a lot of basketball in the first segment. Talk some baseball now. Matt Deggs' squad, 6-6 six and six, through the first 12 games. Little underwhelming, um, you know, with, with some of the conversations that were that were happening preseason. You, you, would, you would hope for better results than, than what we've seen. Uh, the Round Rock Classic definitely did not go as planned. I think that's largely in part to the weather that that you had to go through. I mean, baseball is not a sport that is made to be played in the 30s in the rain. Like that's just that's just not baseball weather. You played some good competition. Two of the games you kept it close. Uh Stanford you ended up losing 5 to 1. Arkansas you ended up losing 6 to 4. Had a good chance to win that one. But that Indiana game, I don't think the Cajuns ever had a chance in that one. Other than the top of the first when we were up one nothing, Indiana just absolutely not not only Indiana obliterating us, but we kind of beat ourselves. Uh, we, we made some silly errors in that game. We made some we made some bad decisions in that game. Northwestern State, I thought was was a good rebound, when it went in both of those, uh, one in Natchitoches, one here at home. But then, you know, Southern Miss, you, you win the first one with an offensive barrage. You, you you put across five runs and you get good out outings out of both Tommy Ray and Brandon Talley. But then the other two games, you only manage two runs. You make a ton of errors. And the the part that probably frustrated me the most about that series is how many runners, not only how many runners you left on base, how many runners you left in scoring position. I mean, dude, if you get a leadoff triple and you can't get that guy home, like lay down a bunt, hit a pop fly to center field, something. Get that guy home. Especially in a two to nothing game, that run could have been crucial. That could have been the difference maker. Um, so that's frustrating. Am I worried about baseball? Like some people are saying, no, I'm not. I still think this is the good team. I still think they're going to find their rhythm. Am I as high on this team as I was before the season? No, I'm not. I still think there are a ton of questions to answer about this team. But six and six, 
with the competition that we have played is not the worst place to be. I just expected better. Yeah, I think I think for us, you look at some of these games, you look at the the semantics of what's happened, uh, the circumstances. Um, you know, you go to you go two out of three against Irvine. You get a lot of high hopes there. Um, you basically take care of Southeastern. You know, you, you're three and one going into going into the Round Rock Classic, and you really do compete with Stanford. Uh, granted, you know, we really didn't get the timely hit like we should have, and pitching kind of wallowed away towards the end, but you know, Stanford's a top 10 team, right? So you're going to, you know, unfortunately it just, it's, it's circumstantial when you play a team like that, it's going to happen. Um, the Indiana game, I just was more disappointed in the fact that we didn't, we really didn't show up. I know Deggs had played um, his, his basically the backups in that game. He had said uh, the, the starters didn't really perform up to par or up to the level that he knew they could perform. So he sat them and started basically uh he basically started a roster that you would, or a lineup that you would start in a midweek game. And it showed. Um, and of course, you know, Brandon Talley and a few other pitchers probably pitched one of their worst games on the mound so that you add that to 12 to four game. Um, but Indiana is still a good team. Uh, it doesn't take away the fact that even though they were winless, they're still competitive, but it still hurts because I expected us to compete there. Arkansas, you basically, to me, gave the game away. Um, Should have won that game. Bullpen just, you walk two batters, three-run home run, ball game. Then at the end, you still have a chance, hit into a double play. Their shortstop made a great play. Same guy hit the home, the go-ahead home run. It's going to happen. That was, a, that was a frustrating loss. But again, you competed. You, you basically went toe-to-toe with them. Um, Should have won. I think what was so, – so coming out of that, you went 0-3, for 3, and then you take two against Northwestern State. Basically beat Northwestern State. You, you, you played to the level that we were capable of. And the same way Friday night against Southern Miss, you were aggressive at the plate. Uh, pitching did a really good job. Tommy Ray lights out. Brandon Talley give, gives up that three-run shot and just shuts down the rest of the, the Southern Miss lineup, which that's the BT we've kind of waited for. And I think he's shown up, and I hope that he sticks that he stays that way, right, for our sake. But Saturday and Sunday, it, it went back to the same old mistakes. You know, get leadoff hits, leave guys on base, can't get the timely hit, can't bring in runs. Uh, pitching gave up too many walks. Some of those walks turned into runs um, and they compounded a little bit. Um, and I think the biggest example was Sunday. Connor Kimple gets a leadoff triple. You don't score him, you know, and, and, and Matt, we've talked about this, you know, you can get away with that against uh, in a, you can get away with that against midweek pitching. You can get away with that in a midweek game um, because you're going to have hitters that are going to be able to compensate for that. But when you play Southern Miss or a competitive team and you get a leadoff triple, you can't score them. That's a, that signifies a bad day coming up and they still fought back tied it at two pitching comes in, gives up a few walks. Two of their runs were off walk batters. Um, you can't do that against teams like that. And moving forward to me, we're going to have to clean that up. Um, we're going to have to clean that up now because to me, I think I see the capability of this team. I see the talent on this team. I see, I see a lot of potential on this team. Um, I still think we're trying to find an identity uh, pitching wise. I know Coach Deggs and, and Coach and Coach Tibbs are are kind of experimenting with a lot of the a lot of arms in the bullpen. Um, I know they're trying to mess with the like try to you know uh, experiment with the rotation a little bit, but you know I hope they can get that done before conference, and especially this weekend. You got a tough Houston team coming to town. You know you got to be able to 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 get that done because once conference hits, that's it. Um, so I, I think we're close, and I know it's hard to say it, but I hate being close. 
I think our potential is fully there. I think we have the team to compete. But I, I, I said before uh, the season started, don't be surprised if we drop a few games. Don't be surprised if we're flirting around 500. And, and here we are. I just think it's more frustrating because I've seen the way we've given some of these games away. That's what hurts. The Arkansas game on Sunday, the Southern Miss game on Sunday, those are two games we should have won. You take, you win those two games, like you said, Matt, we are eight and four. So I hope that starting tomorrow night at UNO, we can continue to, to correct some of those mistakes and be a little more consistent, show some more consistency on all three phases of the game. And then this weekend we go in ready against Houston and take the series because after this weekend, conference play starts against Troy the following week. So we got a very short amount of time to fix, to fix our mistakes leading up to um, leading up to conference. But I think, uh, you know, listening to coach Deggs after both the Arkansas and the Southern Miss game, both Sunday games, he said it, he said, you know, we're close and we just have to know how to finish. We have to know how to finish. And one thing Southern Miss did that we didn't besides pitch well is that they took advantage of opportunities. You know, we walked their batters. They scored those batters in, um, you know, they got timely hits. They played good defense. You know, they, they, they were able to, to, to leave, to, to leave a lot of our men on base and, and play defense against that. So that's the difference between us and a Southern Miss. Southern Miss is there. We're trying to get there. The question is, and do, are we capable of getting there? Absolutely. But is it going to be like basketball where we get hot towards the end or can we do that now? That's yet to be seen. And I think we'll find out a lot about that or find out a lot. Uh, we'll find out about that starting this weekend at, uh, against Houston, who is also a really, really good team and should set up for a great series at home. Houston's a little bit of an enigma in a way that they, they kind of mirror us in that they've beaten the hell out of teams that they should have beaten and they have not performed well against better competition. So that's going to be a good series. I'm going to go back to round rock. You show up on Friday, you pit, you play a day game against Stanford. Okay. Stanford is very good. And the guy that they pitched was very good. He was very accurate. His misses were two inches, not a foot. So as a hitter, you really had to make some adjustments. However, we had an opportunity to go up two nothing in the first at the bottom of the first uh, inning. I told, I leaned over, told Catherine, I said, look, we got to get that guy home from third. That is a crucial run giving up. But you got to remember how the events of that inning unfolded, giving up just one run coming out of that was a win for Stanford. If you get two, it's a win for you. And then you go in and you, you pitch and you play defense. Tommy Ray gave you an opportunity to win. We didn't get timely hits. What's kind of frustrating about this offense is that there's plenty of potential, but for whatever reason, we're living and dying on the clutch hit. Now, I know we did that with Robe for a very long time, but Robe was a pitching and defense coach. We need timely hits, and we can win games that way because we played out of our minds on defense and we pitched the ball. This Deggs roster is not built that way. This Deggs roster is built to win at the plate. We got a hit to win. So it's a little frustrating. Even with that, we played good defense on Friday against Stanford. We pitched well. Like I said, Tommy gave you an opportunity to win. And then Stanford just came in, made pitches, nickel and dimed us, and they played great defense. They played road ball, and we did not play Degg's ball. We lost that game, not because we didn't have the talent, but we lost that game because we didn't execute, which is what led Degg's, in my opinion, stupidly, to roll over the roster for Indiana. And, Matt, you mentioned the weather, and Saturday's weather was absolutely terrible. Rainy, felt like about 30, 30 degrees, 33 degrees. It was miserable. 
Got to keep in mind that the Cajuns play on an artificial surface. That was a natural surface. You could tell balls were deadening more on the infield, and I think that that, that hurt us a lot, especially with a new starter, Jack Clark, uh, at uh, a third. There was a couple of issues there with him. You know, uh, we had some poor first baseman play out of Zombo. I, I didn't I didn't love the way he played the position. I like him as a player. I just didn't think he played very well. Uh, I mean, even Devo made an issue, uh, made an error that that game. So, yeah, the, the weather was bad, but both teams had to play in it. And the difference between the Indiana offense and the Cajun offense was that Indiana pitching threw strikes. He attacked hitters. By the time we got to Brandon Talley, we were just pitching from behind. I mean, what are you going to say? You got to throw strikes. I mean, I know it's such a simple idea, but Brandon Talley came in and threw 57 pitches, I want to say, and 33 of them were balls. We hit two batters. We made two errors. In that one inning, in that one inning where they scored seven runs, we had two hit batsmen, three walks, two errors. I mean, you cannot win that way. You will never beat a team having an inning like that. Never going to happen. And while the offense, namely Will Veyon, tried to come back, it was just too big of a hole. The push didn't matter. And that was demoralizing, I think, in a lot of ways. But, you know, kind of going back to my opinion on why you roll the rolls, the roster over, you guys didn't execute on Friday because they went up against a good pitcher. Not because they can't do it. He talks about aptitude all the time. Well, we have a lot of guys on this roster that have plenty of aptitude. They just didn't get it done against a very good baseball team. So that led you to try to send a message by sending out some guys that hadn't even got a pitch of playing time against Indiana, who's a good offensive club. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, there's, I got some issues with how Deggs manages. And maybe it'll pay off one day, and maybe I'll have to eat crow, and people will call me a, a, a spoiled robe sycophant. But let me tell you something. I've been watching baseball a very long time. Analytics are very new to baseball. You know, uh, spin rate and saber metrics and all that stuff. Sometimes you just got to go with the guys that are dudes. And I think that too many times we try to send messages. I don't know if that shit works with 20-year-olds anymore. The world is different, man. It's just a different time in sports and collegiate athletics. I just don't – I don't believe in that. And Deggs does, and he's had success everywhere he's been, so it's hard for me to, to really have a, a real strong – uh, backing on that, but you know, he took over Sam Houston after uh, Pierce left and went to Texas and took him to the college world series the next year. Okay. So let's not act like he went to Sam Houston and took over a dumpster fire. He took over a roster that had some pretty good talent on it and won a lot of games doing it. I'm not saying he didn't do a great job, but let's pump the brakes on, you know, Deggs is a wizard uh, in the dugout. I still like him as a manager. I like his toughness. I understand that they have faith in the guys they recruit and they feel like if we, if we recruited you, you checked all of our boxes and we want you to be able to perform. I also think that you got to give guys playing time in order to build a full team, to build a community of guys that root for them for, for each other. I think that's important as well, but there's a way to do that. Rolling the roster, the roster over on the next day because you lost to a top 10 team and you're trying to quote unquote, send the message. I don't, I don't believe in that. I just don't believe in that. But anyway, you roll into Sunday, you, you play against, yes, Arkansas, a very good team, but you pitch well enough to win. They pitch guys that haven't gotten pitched in time. They played guys that haven't gotten a bunch of playing time. They're a team mired in an overall slump. As a team, I don't know what they're hitting, but it's like 250. It's not good. And they give you base runners, and they give you opportunities to climb back in the game after you go down, and you just won't take them. 
you know, where's the grit? Where's all this, this, you know, this, this moxie that Diggs talks about some, something that they showed against UC Irvine, a very good club who just beat Oregon state, one of the hottest teams on Sunday in the country. But we showed that against UC Irvine. We showed it against Southeastern who just went out and beat a, a very good Arkansas team that we're, you know, we're talking about here, but they weren't playing well in round rock. They're kind of starting to find their footing, but Southeastern wouldn't beat them. They wouldn't beat La Tech last week. We have the guys, we have the roster. Maybe we need to stop sending messages and start just playing our guys. And the, another thing we're not talking about is we lose Max Mitchell uh, late in the game on Friday uh, at Stanford. Max Mitchell is one of our, in my opinion, top five players. Marshawn. I think he's probably one of our top three t- players. And he hurts his oblique. And he is a, I call him a chaos creator. He, he does. I don't think that he leaves Connor Kimple at first base in that, in that Southern Miss game. You know, he's the kind of guy that's going to find a way to make a play. I don't know how many of those we have on this roster. I think Debo is really starting to come into form. And I think Debo is going to be one of those guys that you just can't beat when it's, when push comes to shove and we got to win the battle of the twos and all that fun stuff, but we don't have a ton of those. I think max is one of those. So losing max is a big deal. Also losing LaFleur and Marshall early to start the season is tough. It, It shortens your bullpen, which is already short. Okay. So you go to round rock and you compete with some of the best teams in the country in bad conditions when your manager is making goofy decisions to send messages and, and people are worried about the team, I, I'm not worried. I think it's a disappointing weekend. Certainly, I think it's a disappointing weekend, but I'm not worried. You know, you come back and you beat a team that you're better than in Northwestern State twice. You know, you really take care of them in the second game. And in the first game, you know, you give up seven RBI to the third baseman who just went ham and hit a bomb, a, a grand slam and a three-run shot, uh, which was kind of an anomaly. But other than that, you basically dominated the game. You played good baseball. But they're, they're an above-average team, and you made them look pretty average, pretty mediocre. So th- that was a nice bounce back. But you show up against USM, okay, Southern Mississippi has the potential to be a regional host team. I really believe that. They've got – they might have a top-10 pitching staff in the country. I mean, look at, look at what Riggins did on Saturday. That was a clinic. That guy is – he's a Major League Baseball pitcher for me if they ever play again. Uh, you know, they had guys coming out of the bullpen that were, I mean, just menaces and give credit to the guys on Friday. We battled, we got big knocks, you know, Carson Rockefort's two run Jack broke their back. I mean, you could see it. The the, the air just kind of went out of the roster. uh, I mean, out of the dugout and yes, Tally did throw a pitch up and guy hit it out of the ballpark, but they have a good lineup. They have guys that are gritty and who will fight you. But I felt like they, they felt defeated after rocks home run. But credit to, to Tally, he looked good on Friday, which is such a great sign for our baseball team going forward. We need him to be all-American type Brandon Tally. We got to have him to win. Then you come out on Saturday, you get totally dominated by a great arm in Riggins. We really never competed at the plate. And then Sunday, you have a very competitive rubber match where, you know, really the first five innings of that game, I don't know. I don't feel like they competed very well, but let me tell you, there were a few calls at second base in particular, DeBars on Saturday and on Sunday, uh, I can't remember. Maybe I don't remember who got called out at second base. And then the check swing call that was awful. Uh, there was a few calls middle of that game that changed the complexion of those innings and it changed our offensive approach. Credit to USM. You know, they, they were the better team. I think the better team won this weekend. But I also think that they are a very good team. They brought back basically their entire lineup. They've got seniors on that team that are really, really good. They've got some really pesky or pesky hitters 
the Montenegro kid, we couldn't get him out last year and he had a game, a ball game uh, on, on Saturday, but he was, he was a problem the whole weekend. DJ Lynch who got booed ferociously, which I was proud of our crowd for that. He had a nice weekend, you know, um, just, you got to give credit to those guys. Saturday was, I know that it looked like we competed a little bit more than we actually did. If you really look at Toit and you really watch what happened in the first, second, and third inning, Southern Miss was knocking the ball around the park and we were making plays. We were, the defense really showed up and helped Toit get out of some jams. Now, I know CJ made the, the error at first base. Then he comes back and gets the double play right after that, which was great to see. But we didn't compete at the plate. And we didn't really pitch all that well. I know we didn't give up a ton of runs, but we really didn't pitch all that well on Saturday, which brings me to the biggest issue is that we just aren't long for arms in the the bullpen or in the starting role. Right now, Tommy Ray is head and shoulders above, I think. I think you got maybe two or two or three other guys. For me, I'm putting I'm I'm putting Schultz in the in the starting role. We he we know he could start. You know, his freshman year, he went up to La Tech, cut them up. Uh, we know that he has that in him. Now, I know he's had some history of injuries, but I still think that that he gives you an opportunity to win um, over others right now that are in, in starting roles. You saw Willis get knocked around a little bit. You know, I don't know, man. I, I don't think we have that that elite arm that we've I mean, we we have been spoiled for a very long time. I don't think we have that on this on this roster. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe people are still developing. But I think that it's a, it's a, a lot I think we miss Carter Robinson. I think we miss Connor Cook. I think we miss Spencer, you know, obviously, obviously. But am I worried about baseball? No. What I'm worried about is getting Max Mitchell back and getting those two lefties, those power lefties out of the in, back into the bullpen that are viable options so that we can give other people some time to recoup. I don't want to be hurting for, for arms down the stretch of the season. I, I think that pitching right now is our number one issue. I think we're good defensively, even though we've had a couple of games that we've looked kind of, you know, inconsistent. I think offense, the offense is going to come around. Bobby Lede is not going to hit a hundred for the, the season. You know, Connor Kimple's a little bit streaky. Uh, Julian Brock is starting to hit the baseball. He's just hitting it at people. Those will start dropping. Rockefeller is feeling pressure from having to carry the damn load. When people start picking him up, you're going to see the offense really round out. I think when Max comes back, that's going to be a huge a huge help, but am I worried? No. Do I think we have a lot more baseball in us at a, a higher level? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's still early. I mean, 12, 12 games in in baseball is is not a lot at all. Um, you still have what is it forty four more to play? What is it a fifty? It's a fifty six game schedule. Uh, so definitely plenty of time to to get it right. By the way, Josh. Max Marshak. What did I say? You've been saying Max Mitchell. You got you football. Uh, on your, you got football on your brain. My bad, Marshak. That's my B, dude. I, uh, I've been messing. Yeah, I've been talking about Mitchell so much on the pod. Yeah. My bad, Max Marshak. Fo- football, football on the brain. Yes, sir. All good. All good. So, obviously, we talked earlier. The, the game with LaTeX tonight has been postponed until April. Uh, the way that's going to work is we were scheduled to go up to Ruston on April 5th. Now we're going to be there April 5th and April 6th. We'll we'll play a, a two-day somewhat series with them. Uh, however, UNO's game scheduled for tomorrow is still intact as of now. Blake Dean has done a hell of a job with the privateers program. 
Uh, I think he's got them going in the right direction. They're a good team. They've, they've uh, got yeah. them. They've only gone out and gone eight and two early in the season. Yeah, they've, they've beaten good teams like Kansas. They've got, well, they swept ULM, and typically that wouldn't be a huge accomplishment, but ULM is not your granddad's ULM. They have right. a pretty decent roster, and ULM just went up to Warhawk Field and beat the brakes off of them. Yeah. Uh, again, I agree with you. ULM is definitely not the ULM that, that we're used to. They are. They have become, they've kind of turned that program around a little bit. Uh, but yeah, Blake Dean, like I said, eight and two. You mentioned they beat Kansas. I think they're going to give us a lot of fits. Do I still think we're the better team? Yeah, I do. Um, would I be surprised if we lose? No, probably not. Um, just because they're they're a team that that's going to give us a lot of trouble. They're going to give us matchup issues. The series that I'm excited to talk about is Houston. Houston, at least to me, feels like a very underrated club in in, in the world of college baseball. I don't feel like they're given the respect that that they they kind of deserve because they've had some success over the last couple of years. And this year... Let's see. Let me, I'm gonna pull up their schedule so that I can know exactly. They're off to a seven and four start. They opened in Scottsdale, Arizona, against some good competition. They lost to Berkeley. They lost to TCU. They got a win over McNeese. So they they haven't really played great competition to to start the year other than TCU and Cal. And they got run ruled against TCU, who's by the way a yeah. very good club. Um, you, you played a doubleheader against Rio Grande Valley. You beat them. You won a weekend series over Incarnate Word. You've got Rice and Southern this week, and and then and then you're coming to to Lafayette to play Louisiana. I don't know. Maybe 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 I'm wrong. I just I feel like they're a better team than a the 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 talk is on them and be what their schedule shows. I, I I liken them to kind of us. I mean, we've got some very nice wins on the schedule and they have a very difficult uh, schedule that we've played. However, most of, you know, some of our better performances have come against teams that we are better than, and it's not particularly close. I think Houston, uh, and look, Houston in me, in my opinion, have been a respected program for a very long time. As long as I've been following college baseball, They've had a quality program, but you know, it was down last year. They have high expectations going into this year and they're not off to the best start. Can't get run ruled against TCU and expect to get any amount of respect. I mean, that's just the flat out truth. Uh, even though it is a multi-team event, you got to go out and play. And I can say the same thing for, for us against, uh, you know, Indiana, not a great, not a great performance, but I think that they have the talent. I mean, it's, it's Houston baseball. They've got, they've always got players. And they're coming to the Teague. It's going to be an electric environment. Again, you got to shout out to the crowd for USM. That was such a fun regional type of environment. And you feel like the Teague is back. I, I said that to Jerry last week. I said, man, the Teague is, is 100% back. When you walk in there, it just feels like it feels big time again, you know, with, with the, the raucous and the, and the, 
and the buzz. It's all back. So shout out to our fans because they really showed up all weekend. I mean, even on the radio, it sounds like a, like, again, it sounds like a regional environment and that's what you want at the Teague. That's what you expect. You know what I mean? But yeah, I agree with you, man. I think it's going to be a good series. Um, I, I expect to get two out of three against Houston, uh, but you never know a team like that with talent who can pitch it uh, and they can also swing the bat. If you look at the results, um, they can hit. So you never know when they're going to catch fire. I think that they expect to come here and win two out of three. So again, it'll be another good opponent at the Teague in Lafayette for the weekend. Hope the weather, uh, you know, stays okay and, and cooperates with us. But again, another, another good home schedule, another good home series. I'm not going to put Houston on the level of UC Irvine, nor am I going to put them on the level of Southern Miss, but I do think that's perfect. Uh, that's a perfect scenario for us because I think what we've seen through the first 12 games, everything we've talked about so far in this segment is just the fact that we haven't really reached our potential. I think this is a perfect, perfect, perfect series, especially being at home. You're playing a familiar foe. You're playing a program that's very well-respected as a mid-major like Houston. Um, I, I'm looking forward to see where we stand and how we respond. Um, this is a golden opportunity for us to really get a solid series win going into conference. And I think Houston being the fact that they aren't quite up to par with Southern Miss and they aren't quite up to par with UC Irvine is the perfect barometer for us to see where we are. Um, yes, they can hit the ball. Yes, they have decent pitching. But if you look at their schedule, uh, you know, uh, Texas Rio Grande and Southern and uh, they play Rice today, Incarnate Word, Lamar, Texas Southern, McNeese, not really, not really world beaters. Um, you know, they're not Arkansas. They're not Indiana. They're not uh, Stanford. Um, and then, like I said, they're not Southern Miss, nor are they UT, UT, I'm sorry, UT, I'm sorry, uh, Cal, Cal, Cal Irvine, but, but they're still a respectable program and they're a, pro a program that our fans are familiar with. They're a program that will challenge you and they will challenge our team. Um, but I like our chances this weekend. I think tomorrow night, even though it's a midweek game is very important going to UNO. Look, the last time we played UNO was in 2019 and they embarrassed us here at the Teague. Um, Blake Dean has done a fantastic job. Like you said, Josh, they hit the ball. Well, they're off to a great start. Um, if we can go on the road and win over there, uh, and carry that momentum into this weekend, this can set up for a fun weekend for us. Um, so I, I, I've, I've been saying since the beginning of the season, I like the way our schedule's set up. Uh, I thought the non-conference schedule was one of the best in the country. I think it's a great non-conference schedule for us to determine where we need to be and where we are now. Um, so I think this Houston series comes at a perfect time. So we're going to see what we can do this weekend. Uh, I expect pitching to improve. I expect our bullpen to improve. I think this is a team where we need to capitalize on given opportunities. When we hit leadoff triples, we got to score them, um, you know, uh, be very disciplined at the plate. And also I'm curious to see, you know, guys right now, for example, you know, Tyler Robinson had a decent weekend. Um, you know, he made, he made some great plays at third, but he's starting to hit the ball. Uh, Raconis is another one. I'm expecting him to start to hit the ball soon. Rocco has pretty much been the most consistent guy on the, on the in the lineup. Um, but I'm expecting some guys to step up and this is the weekend to do that. Uh, so we're going to see what happens. Statistically, we're very similar. Um, I'm talking about like as Houston, very similar, you know, now they hit 263 as a club. Care to, Take a wild shot where we hit 221, 221 as a club. Now, again, I'm not saying anything 
in particular, but I'm, I'm just saying Deg's teams are built to win offensively. All the old robe teams were built to win in the field and on the mound. Our team ERA is 441. I'm sorry, 442. And Houston's team ERA is 516. So there's some similarity with these, with these clubs, man. And, you know, they, they are a very good defensive club as well. Their, their filling percentage is like 980. And I, I, again, I said it early and I still believe it. I think we're an elite defensive team. I think we've made some boneheaded errors. I think round rock was just an aberration outside of that. We've, we've, we have some stellar defensive games under our belt as a defensive club. I think we'll continue to do that where we need to pick it up is middle relief. And I, I got to get more out of TR. You mentioned TR got to get more out of him. Got to get something out of Bobby. Got to get more out of Julian. Although I think he's busting out of it. I know he's hitting the ball hard. It's just going at people. So these kids that we know can play, we need to get something out of them. And I, I really wish we would have never moved Drew Shiflett out of the rotation. I thought he was fine. I thought we overreacted there. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. But no, it, I think, it, yeah, you're right. Houston, Houston is going to be a very illuminating series. Yeah, it, it, I think it'll definitely put us put us back on the right track, put us back in the right direction. Let's talk softball for a minute. They had the Mardi Gras Mambo tournament down in Youngsville. They performed well in, in that tournament. They went 4-1, and one, um, their one loss being to, to Alabama. You know, if you, look at their, if you look at their season so far, you're looking at a 12-4 and four team with two losses to LSU, two losses to Alabama. And in those four losses, if you look at them, they can't get away from the big inning. They give up a big inning, and they don't know how to respond. And that comes to inexperience. This team is young. This team is, you know, very inexperienced when it comes to big-time competition like Alabama, like LSU. I don't think that expectations should be too high for this program this year because of that. However, with growing, with growing with this team in 2022 and playing competition like Alabama, like LSU, you set yourself up for next year. You set yourself up for the future. I think this team is going to be very good next year and in 2024. However, this year... I think it's going to be, you know, you win the Sun Belt, you get into a regional, and I don't think you make it out of the regional. And I, I think that just has to be what it has to be. Well, up to this point, I think it's pretty simple. I think you thought Kendra Lamb was going to be a little bit more reliable. She has not been. I think that Shoreman kind of had a rocky start, but really has come on lately. I think Sun, she's pitched her best in big moments. Sun Belt Pitcher of the Week this week. And, and really did it against great competition. I think offensively, you lack, you lack some pop. I think we still have issues running the base paths. I still don't understand his, his strategy there. But, you know, again, I'm a softball novice, so I'm not going to critique it too much. But it's, it's pretty plain and simple to me with, with softball. You're crushing teams that you should be crushing, and you're losing to teams that we think you should be competing with. Now, the softball crowd, who is a very diehard and, and passionate fan base, you know, shout out to them, but – they're not going to accept losing to Baton Rouge twice in a week. They're not going to accept losing to Alabama twice in two weeks. You know, 
And that's good. They have a standard. And they're not going to want to hear we're young. They don't want to hear that. Speaking of young, you know, Sam Landry really coming on. She's oh, she's growing up right in front of your eyes. She is a reliable uh, going forward. Maybe not, like I said, maybe not too much this year, maybe later in this year. But going forward, you have an ace in the making. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But you've got to have your Taylor Romans and your Rayne O'Neills and your Piscos. Now, she had a big hit uh, on Sunday. But you got to get them going. They're just they're just up and down, and yeah, they're they're young, Matt. But we we've got some we've got some some talent and some experience on this team that are I don't think performing up to to their potential, and that's got to change against better opponents and competition. Just got to be able to be better. Well, we're facing the same issues that we did in baseball. We're not you know we're leaving too many players on too many girls on base. We're not we're not hitting them in. Um, pitching has done okay, but we've walked a lot of batters. I mean, the LSU game, we walked a ton of batters. The Alabama game, we walked a ton of batters. And when you do that against top 25 competition, they're going to punish you for it. And that's what's happened. Um, and they're getting timely hits. Um, for me, I think this is kind of what, like, it's exactly what Josh said. We're beating the teams we're supposed to beat. We're not beating the teams that really are, are just better than us right now um and that's and i think a lot of that has to do with youth we do have a lot of young players we have a lot of young talent we have a lot of new pitchers that were pretty much you know challenging and so we're gonna we're gonna fall against some teams that otherwise you'd want to beat but i know it's hard to lose to lsu twice it's hard to get run ruled by alabama twice i hope that this team can learn from that and learn how to face some adversity and and really mature a lot quicker uh, experiencing those types of losses. Um, you know, the, the both LSU games, we were actually pretty competitive in the second game in Baton Rouge. We were almost competitive in the first game if we didn't walk so many runs in and, and not and leave and leave too many players on base. Um, so those are just things that we're going to have to work on when we face stiffer competition. You know, it's easy to score 20 runs against a team that's inferior to you. But I think even in the game against Eastern Illinois, where we had to go into extras, a regular normal UL softball team beats that team by six or seven runs. I think our youth has definitely exposed a little bit of um, a little bit of lack of, 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 of tenacity, but that's only because they're young youth is going to do that. Um, but I do like the effort. I do like the fact that these girls still compete and you know, it's just going to just maturity. Maturity is going to have a lot to do with that. And experience is going to have a lot to do with them getting better. And I think with the more time they get, on the field, the more time they get playing these type of, you know, stiff competition uh, and better teams, I think it will get better. So, you know, conference is coming. Hopefully they can make some runs uh, or make a run and, and and continue the streak of winning those series. So we'll see. And I want to say before we get off here, uh, if you guys like softball and and you're in, you're part of the softball crowd, check out Roarman's softball podcast. I listened to his recap of the week and the tournament, and it's just phenomenal. It's way more in-depth than what we do. We kind of just touch on it, but uh, Rory does an excellent job of getting into the nitty-gritty and the, and the details of every game and goes through the entire tournament. So go check it out. It's on Spotify and all the other places. Roar Man's Softball Podcast, R-O-A-R Man. We're going to take one last break here on Region Review, and when we come back, we're going to talk some football. Uh, we're going to talk about the football schedule. We're going to talk about some new coaching hires. And then I've got a pretty big announcement to share with you guys. Don't go anywhere. I read your interviews right back after this.
Schilling Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. Welcome back to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry A. Bear, and Man About Town, Josh Jogno. Third and final segment. Time to talk some football. But before we do that, shout out to Cajun Tennis. 37th in the country. A 13-1 overall record. And they just added a huge home match against Florida Atlantic. It was the top 50 opponent in America. So congrats to our tennis team. You got FAU, you've got Rio Grande Valley, and then you get deep into the Sun Belt coming down the stretch here in March into April. So good luck to, to our guys at the Cajun Courts. Also, women's soccer has a new head coach. A guy by the name of Chris McBride spent the last five years at Southeastern. Before that, he was an assistant at South Alabama. He's of Scottish descent. That accent is insanely thick. So... Congratulations to Chris and his family. We look forward to him bringing new and good things to the women's soccer program. Hey, Matt, should also add that uh, 2020, they won the Southland Conference Championship, and he helped to build South Al into the elite juggernaut that they became in the Sun Belt. So just wanted to holler at Chris there. Yeah, absolutely. Cajuns football set to hire... Two new coaches to the staff, special teams coordinator Luke Pascal and D-line coach Dennis Thomas. Thomas coming from Western Carolina. Josh, what can you tell me about uh, the special teams coordinator? So I met Luke Pascal at the complex the other day, and he had literally just been hired like so fresh that he had just been assigned a realtor to go find a house for his family who hadn't made it to town yet. Uh, he spent time at North Carolina. I, I don't remember if he was under Mac Brown. I think he moved on before then, uh, but he spent time at UMass most recently, and he's got a very nice resume. You guys can go find it on the website, RagingCajuns.com. They have a write-up about him. Seems like a, a very personable guy. Don't know much about him as far as his 
his, his, uh, you know, tendencies on the field or not, but I'm happy to start rounding out this coaching staff. Luke Pascal looks like a, a, a good hire. He also spent time under Blake Anderson at Arkansas state. So, and you guys know about Blake. Uh, so, Hey, he's familiar with the Sun Belt. He's been around, he's seen some, some different conferences and I, I have, look, I, I don't have a ton of, uh, of opinion on him as a coach, but it was nice to meet him. And I hope he enjoys his stay in Lafayette. He already had some, some cool things to say about the area and the people. Uh, Dennis Thomas, he coached in the sec. I want to say Kentucky and Arkansas, Jerry, maybe correct me on that. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I know he spent time in the sec. He was Western Carolina's defensive coordinator at one time, got rehired as a defensive line coach uh, later on in his career. And now he's headed to Lafayette. So, Hey, you know, you got to plug holes and it looks like we're doing that with people that have, uh, you know, more than qualified resumes, happy to get this thing rolling and get these coaches in the building and on the road recruiting and, and coaching these young men up. One other thing about Dennis Thomas is he coached at Western Carolina. Um, actually, that's where Lamar Morgan also coached at for a little while. Not sure if they crossed paths, but I know that um, Lamar Morgan comes from there. I think that was one of his first big coaching jobs um, when he came into the co- collegiate rankings on the coaching side uh, before going off to Houston and ULM and uh, coming back to Louisiana. So, uh, yeah, th- there's definitely some familiar ties there uh, with Coach Dennis Thomas. As far as Coach Luke Pascal. Um, pretty excited to have him too. He's got some uh, experience in the Sun Belt, like you said, Josh. So I think Coach Desermo's staff has really come out, co- turned out to be really effective. Now it's just about coaching together and, and having that cohesiveness with this new staff. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can do. Uh, the resumes speak for themselves. They have experience and I think they're ready for, for these jobs. So congratulations to both coaches and looking forward to what they can do in the springtime. The football schedule is out. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think it's a pretty winnable one. Absolutely. Uh, you open with Southeastern, a good FCS opponent, but there's obviously a talent gap there. Next week, you have Eastern Michigan coming to Cajun Field. They're a decent Mac school. Again, I think there's a bit of a talent gap there. And then you spend two weeks on the road. You go to Rice, and then really – Interesting that the ULM is in September. I I find that weird. I'm okay with them not being on rivalry week, but because know. they're not a rival. Se- September saying. September just seems kind of weird. That that happened in 2017. Um, but it was the opposite. The ULM came to Lafayette. Uh, that was actually the game that. Oh, was I that was that the in- night Caleb Evans ran for five touchdowns on us? Yeah, yeah, we yeah. lost in overtime. Yeah, yeah. Um, that game. was kind of, I want to say that that was probably the beginning of the end for the from the fan base for, for Coach Hud. That was because we lost that game. We had started the season one and three, and we had actually fought pretty hard the week before in College Station against Texas A&M. You come home, you think, okay, we'll get back on track against ULM, conference home opener, it's at home, and we lost. So, yeah, that was definitely a game that I remember uh, well um, <laughs> with unfortunate circumstances. But I see the... I see some parallels there, um, except, you know, five, five years later, it's the opposite. We're, we're opening up conference going to their place. And I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't mind that. I don't know for sure. I don't mind that. And, and look, so you got, you start the season with two home openers. Okay. And then you go to, to the rice, you go to Houston, you can drive to that. You go to ULM three hours away. You can drive to that. And then you go to South Alabama. It's always a good trip. Four hours, fun town. Oh, no, you get South, to, South comes here. 
I'm sorry, South Alabama and Lafayette. You're correct. I'm reading that wrong. Either way, five, the first five games of the season, all games you feel like you can win, and your fans are going to get to participate in those games. Yep, and three out of your first five are at home. Perfect. Right. And then, and then my favorite part of the schedule, you got the Kusa boys in. They just, I mean, Judy's out there laying on the ground, <laughs> kicking and screaming, doing snow <laughs> angels. And Kusa, there's nothing they can do. Sunbelt and Keith Gill were like, you know what, just deal with it. They schedule Marshall. They schedule Southern Miss. You know, you get all the guys that we think that are going to make the, or we know are making the jump to be on the schedule. I mean, that's great. So you got you got Marshall. You got Marshall on a Wednesday night primetime slot. ESPN baby. I mean, that's awesome. Rematch of the New Orleans Bowl, which for three quarters was a dogfight. Um, I, I think that's going to be a fun game. Arkansas State coming to Cajun Field. That's always. A fun game. I think they're going to be a much improved team from last year, considering they have the number one recruiting class in the Sun Belt. Um, Southern Miss, not the greatest football team, but they're going to they're going to develop no, but into a rivalry. Look at the. Have y'all seen what they've done in the transfer portal? I mean, I did. I did see they like got 20, Tylen Knight. Yes, they've got a ton of JUCO transfer talent. They've gone out. They've worked the portal. Will Hall, we know very well, very familiar with our program. That is not going to be a walkover game. In fact, going to Southern Miss primetime on a Thursday, I think that might be a jumping atmosphere. Uh, that's going to be one of the ones I circle on the schedule to go to. Man, it's going to be fun to have Southern Miss be good again. And, of course, coming into the belt is going to be great. But, and you know, you get that game, especially if they have a nice start to their season, that thing's going to be live. You know, talking about Southern Miss, they probably wish they would have gotten a hold of Miles Brennan too, especially now with LSU's latest news. I mean, say what say what you want about the Tigers. Jaden Daniels is a machine. Well, yeah. I read this morning that uh, Brennan's still considering getting back in the portal. So you never know what's going to happen, man. It's the wild, wild west with this portal stuff. Jaden Daniels is a phenomenal quarterback. And with Brian Kelly being the the offensive mind that he is, uh, I think I think that could be a that could be a, a good con- good combination there. You finish the season with two conference games at Troy, well, home against Troy and home against Georgia Southern before going to Tallahassee to play Florida State. And you round out Thanksgiving with a road game at Texas State. I think this is a schedule that the Cajuns can go 9-3. and three. I really like some of the placements of these games. I love playing Florida State at the end of the season rather than at the beginning of the season, because we're going to have our team in place. We're going to have some, some experience under our belt by then. I really like getting the power five games later in the season. I love Texas state on that, that Saturday after Thanksgiving where literally nobody ever shows up. I love that because Texas state is not going to get a good crowd unless they have a season, but I, I don't expect that. I like having Troy and Lafayette. We normally get a good crowd for Troy. And I think that they're going to be much better this year. And Georgia Southern is due for a big rebound, especially with their coaching change and regime change. And they've also worked the portal. They've got some some uh, kind of high-profile names that are going to be playing for them next year. That'll be a fun one on a Thursday afternoon. I love the schedule. I think this is one of our better schedules in, in years past. Well, you got five Saturday home games, and on top of that, all the games are winnable. I think this is a perfect schedule with this new coaching staff, and you still have a lot of talent coming back from last year. This could be a season that could be just as magical as last season. Um, you know, we have some holes we need to fill. We got some starters we need to replace, but it's the next man up. It's the mantra that Billy Napier left here. It's the mantra that Mike Desermo is implementing. So 
we'll see what happens, but I love the schedule. Very, 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 very good schedule and a very winnable one. Yeah. I think, I think Eastern Michigan, uh, people are going to sleep on that. They are a very competitive group. They have been, especially for betters out there that, that like to look at the lines and see who, who is a team that covers Eastern Michigan is one of the best in the country at covering the spread. So I know that's a little bit off the field stuff, but Eastern Michigan is a competitive group and we'll see what they have when they come in. But uh, that, keep your eye on that game. Rice is better. I know nobody wants to really put any amount of uh, a value on that, but rice is a much better football team and they're getting better. Um, uh, Georgia Southern. If you look at the, if you look at the schedule, I think the Cajuns will be underdogs in maybe two games, you know, maybe at Marshall, maybe at Florida state. I don't, I, I think that this is, this schedule lines up perfectly. Like Jerry said, I think it lines up perfectly for a new coaching staff. You're breaking in a new quarterback. Um, you know, I think Mike's probably going to shift some things offensively, not much, but still you're going to have some guys that are learning to play the position and having some young guys fill roles left by, you know, the likes of uh, Percy and Max and people that have, have departed. So which love the schedule. I really, really like the the placements of a lot of these games. Yep. What you, you brought up, Percy. What what a showing at the combine, huh? I didn't see the actual numbers, but the pictures that I was able to see on social look good. He looks, man, he looks jacked. He looks huge. He, he ran he a four. He ran a four four forty. Oh, that is so great. That's so great. He ran. He's he ran a four four forty. Oh, are they changing projections on where he's going to go? Um, I haven't seen much recently. Um, to to be to be quite honest, I haven't really dove into all of that. So I haven't either. You know, um, Max is going to be a top, at least top three. I think Mac, top two. Max is going to go second round. I think. Yeah, I think so too. I think Max uh, is going to go second round. Wouldn't be surprised to see Percy in the fourth round, and that would be great. Yep. No, no doubt about it. Before we go, then I tell you what. I usually say the sound effect for Jerry, but that's fine. Matt, a.k.a. me, gets to start his radio career next week. I have accepted a position with Delta Media and the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 in Lake Charles to become the new host of Crunch Time in the afternoons. I'll be on Monday through Friday from 4 to 6 p.m. Crunch time with Miguez and Mesh. My producer, James Mesh, he is a he is a young guy like me with a whole lot of sports knowledge. Uh, he'll, he'll add a, a valuable asset to, to the show. I am incredibly grateful for this opportunity. And I know that a lot of people are worried about the future of Rage and Review. But I can assure you, and I have spoken with my bosses about this, Rage and Review will continue. Rage and Review will still go as planned. And you guys have nothing to worry about. Granted, on my radio show, will I have to cover LSU? Yes. Will I have to cover McNeese? Yes. I'm excited again. I'm excited about that opportunity. I'm excited to to learn a whole lot of new things about programs that I get to cover, especially with the Astros and and the Saints and Pelicans as well. But again, I just want to reassure with everybody, Rage and Review 
will still stay Rage and Review. The train's going to keep rolling. But uh, starting next Monday, crunch time with Miguez and Mesh on the game every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Y'all tune in. Y'all call in because y'all, y'all know in radio shows, callers, callers are everything. Help me out, help you out, and uh, we'll have some fun. Man, I think one of the questions that, uh, you know, there's been threads on the board and there have been comments on Twitter. I think one of the questions from people are, is, you know, and maybe not even a question. I think it's more of a comment. Obviously, 103.7, the game covers LSU and the Pelicans and things that maybe Raging Review's audience doesn't necessarily care about. So one of the things in the past is 103.7 didn't have enough Cajun coverage. I think most people that have commented are excited that the Cajuns are going to get more pub in the afternoons on 103.7. Do you think that that's accurate to say? Yeah. So my my focus is, is going to be on the Cajuns. So my two-hour show isn't going to be 100% Cajuns. It probably won't even be 50% Cajuns. But at the same time, I'm also going to be the lead coverage guy for UL. I will be at all UL sporting events. I will be covering them for the game. You know, this, that, and the other. So my show will be probably more UL than than anything else. However, I do have to give the fair shake to LSU and the Astros and the Saints and everybody else. But no, with, with that being said, I was hired. Well, I bring the Cajun fan base into that fold. Good news because it needs a spot and I forget who did it, but somebody had a nothing but Cajuns hour. And I thought that that was brilliant. And I think that it helped the, the one with three, seven audience as a whole. Um, so yeah, I, I noticed that people were asking that question. I figured we'd bring it up. I think I speak for Jerry and he's, I know he had to step out, but he's back now. Uh, I speak for Jerry and myself and all of us that helped build this thing. Um, we're super proud to have you on the radio and, you know, we know you're going to do a great job, but uh, it's been a pretty cool road to get here for you. And a lot of people don't know what goes on behind the scenes to, you know, to go to school for what you went to school for and to have the connections that it required and to have the opportunities that it required, uh, you know, on, on that front, but also having raised and review to, to kind of be a sounding board off of ideas and content creation and things like that. It's been, it's been a fun uh, it's been a fun journey to see how you, you developed and you, you, owe, you, they owed you the job. They owed you the opportunity. I think you, I think that, that you're going to benefit them as much as you, as they benefit you. Well, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, I just want to say congratulations, Matt. We're very proud of you. Um, and this has always been a dream of yours, like you had mentioned, and you, you're, this is kind of a, I would say this would be your calling um, for the longest time you've worked in um, the studios you've done rage and review you created this podcast from your phone because you always like to analyze um cajun sports and it's and it's paid off dividends look at what it's done it's got now you've got your own show and so we look forward to listening uh we have something to listen to from four to six on weekdays so we're very excited about that and uh no we're 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 proud of you man congratulations and it's you're gonna do great you're gonna do great um if, if it's any if it's anything like this where you you have a good hands on what you want to talk about you know your topics you know 
you know what's going on in the sports world you, you're you're not going to have any problems and so uh we're pulling for you and and um yeah man congratulations dude proud of you i appreciate that i appreciate the listeners as well um you know rage review wouldn't be what it was without you guys um and, and rage review has definitely helped me land this position so i appreciate that i appreciate you guys jerry and josh but you know what that means though What's now that? that you have some inside scoops you gotta you gotta share you gotta share with us now oof <laughs> also also oof. hashtag pump the pod pump the pod pump the pod pump the pod absolutely absolutely that's gonna do it for this edition of Rage and Review again baseball against Louisiana Tech has been postponed until April 6th they will travel to New Orleans to take on the privateers tomorrow before returning home to play Houston Softball. I'm drawing a blank on who they've got next. Let's see. They've got McNeese tomorrow at Lampson Park before opening Sunbelt play against Georgia State this weekend, also at Lampson Park. Their next six games are in the friendly confines because next Wednesday they host a doubleheader with Texas. So good luck to softball. Good luck to baseball. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, Rage and Review. And who knows? Maybe maybe a Twitter space coming in the near future. Everybody be safe. Everybody be well. And until we talk again, you know the drill.